teachers, I'm Carly Walton and this is the Teach Music Online Podcast, a show where you'll find tips and strategies for growing your music studio. I am all about helping you with your business tasks, having growth through social media, and teaching with the best online tools. And please say welcome to my little three-month-old Melanie in the background. (laughs) When you have four children, six and under, you have to multitask. But she's doing really well. And if you, in case you didn't hear, she was an early baby. We had her five weeks early just last November. So she is just so sweet, so cute. Today, Andrea Miller and I are discussing finances as a studio owner. We provide, in this episode, we provide lots of ideas and resources to help you feel more confident and motivated in your systems. I wanted to remind you how important it is to have a supportive network of teachers to help you along the way. Joining a community of like-minded teachers such as TMO can be incredibly beneficial in the long run. I should say in the short run and the long run. Having friends so you do, so that you don't feel isolated is very helpful, but those friends can also help you strategize. The TMO community is so supportive, understanding, and encouraging. It is a great place to grow and learn. As you work to build a thriving studio business, you will want to consider connecting with other teachers, sharing ideas, and collaborating. Today's review comes from iTunes from user JL who said, My studio has come back from the dead because of Carly's TMO course. It is my favorite online community I'm a part of and the podcast is so inspiring. Thanks, Carly. As mentioned, today we have Andrea Miller. She is the founder of the Music Studio Startup, and she is so fantastic. I've been following her for a while, and she just puts out so much amazing quality information for teachers. She works with teachers to help them grow their businesses through her courses, and she also has a podcast. She is passionate about helping teachers succeed, and I thought she would be the ideal person to chat with about taxes during tax season. But we don't we not only talk about taxes, we also talk about setting financial goals and getting out of debt. There is a lot of great content in here and I hope that the title about taxes isn't like scary to you or or that you're feeling hesitant to listen or to listen to the whole thing because it's such valuable information and I honestly feel like education is power because it is when you know more about how to manage your business And when you have actual resources and education around it, it's just so much easier and and more doable. So here is my discussion with Andrea Miller. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to the Teach Music Online podcast. Hi, Carly. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, this is going to be so fun. I feel like we've been destined to do this because we have so many similarities. You also create courses for teachers and you have a podcast for music teachers. So we're going to have a great conversation. That's right. Yes. I read a little bit on your website about your kind of past as an entrepreneur and your desire to always create and create an income through, you know, in different, in a variety of ways from a young age. Can you, I just think it's so interesting talking to other entrepreneurs. So tell me a little bit about growing up and what inspired those different businesses for you. Yeah. I don't really know where it came from. My parents have often wondered like, where, where did she get this? (laughs) Because uh, they're both engineers, electrical engineers. So I did not get my entrepreneurial genes from them. Um, But yeah, I think it might have started because I liked office supplies when I was very young. And I know my first business was born out of um, wedding business cards. And I was like, well, 
if I have business cards, I need to have like a job title and such. And I was probably seven or something when I was doing this. So I wanted business cards. So I invented a um, Andrea's cards, cards made quick. And I started doing desktop publishing and I would make uh, <laughs> like so cute. greeting cards and <laughs> invitations and canning jar labels and whatever. I mean, this was dating myself, but like, you know, before everyone could use Canva to make pretty things for themselves. Um, yeah. So I, it's just always been there. I don't know where it came from. I read a lot of books about it when I was little and was always starting new businesses. Uh, but probably the most significant for me was um, when I was in middle school, that's when I kind of started taking piano more seriously. And I thought, okay, I want to open a, a music school. That's kind of when that dream was set. And then the thing that clinched the deal was my freshman year of college, I actually ran a, a house painting business um, for that summer. And it was kind of a an internship, but in the like loosest definition of the term internship. <laughs> so it was it was more run like a franchise where they had college students who were branch managers and we each had a territory that we could market in to run our house painting businesses. And we hired um, hired painters and trained painters and spring break was spent learning how to paint houses. And, um, and we did all the estimates and all the sales and all of that. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, really demanding <laughs> workload, especially while still being in school, freshman. Um, but it broke me. And I, I just, I was like, I, I love this. I love working this hard. Um, and I want to do it for myself. So a new entrepreneurship was the path for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like you were dabbling in it, but also realizing maybe not this specifically, but <laughs> you wanted to create a business for yourself. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, just had to be that way. <laughs> yes. So, you know, we both know that as a studio owner, there are so many pieces. There are so many hats a teacher has to wear. And so it's no surprise that running a music studio is a challenge mm -hmm. and that no teacher is perfectly equipped with everything they need, you know, right out of the gate. Like if they start teaching in high school, uh, especially, um, mm -hmm. but even right out of college, teachers don't have all of those business skills um, that they need to market and be successful and be organized. So just tell us a little bit about some of your favorite topics for helping studio owners. Mm, um, yeah, I am really into um, systems and processes. I love developing uh, systems. I mean, for myself, that just makes something that's important to me be sustainable. So it can be, I value having my dishes washed every night. And so I have a system in place for that. On the business side, it's I value having a, a low stress tax season. So I have systems in place throughout the year to uh, systems and routines to keep keep on track of all my accounting. So tax season isn't, isn't busy. Um, so that's, that's one area that I really can nerd out about. Um, another thing is the finance side and, and accounting too, um, using finances strategically. Um, I've been self-employed since right out of college. So, uh, you know, graduated, um, worked really hard to manage my finances in that time. So I could buy a house right away, started a music school right away, um, and it was not because I had a lot of money. It was because I used what I had very strategically. Um, so very passionate about that. And then um, on the accounting side, just helping. I do have a business background. I studied both entrepreneurship and piano performance. So I like taking what I, I learned from business school and bringing the useful parts to music teachers. 
I love it. And I, I love that talking about this helps us all remember that finance doesn't need to be a scary topic. Um, unfortunately, many marriages fail because finances are not talked about. Mm-hmm. Or even just before you're married, if you don't ever address your finances, you're kind of just living in this abyss of, I don't know what's going on with my money until I need to look at my account because, oh no, I have a credit card statement coming up. But there are so many positive ways to look at it and think about it. And today we're talking about taxes and tax season and what a fun, in quotes, <laughs> time of year it can be. And, and honestly, like running my own business, my husband and I are also self-employed. We've been that way since almost, yeah, since we were married really. And we, it forces you to look at it differently, to have a plan in place because you're paying yourself. So it's a little differently. And as studio owners, we need to be aware of it. I recently did a webinar all on setting bigger financial goals and helping teachers see like, you you can hit goals if you set them. So mm-hmm. let's talk about taxes today. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. And I think we, we chatted about this, but disclaimer to everyone that we are not, <laughs> We are not like tax experts. We can't do your taxes for you. But because we've been helping teachers and doing our own taxes, we have a few tips that I think um, teachers will will appreciate. So I think a couple of topics. Um, the first one is maybe LLC or S-Corp. When someone asks you what they should look at, what would you recommend to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, first, I think there's some like uh, misunderstanding about this LLC S-Corp distinction because the LC is um, is almost more of a, a it's a legal structure for the business and you can be an LLC that opts to be taxed as an S corp or you can just be an LLC. So there is the there's like a little distinction there that's not often addressed. So just to bring that up, um, and then the big difference is the way your your treated like your own personal income comes out of the business if you're whether you're an LLC or sole proprietor, you just, you pay taxes on all the business profit, and then you pull your, um, your earnings out of the profits of the business. As if you opt to be taxed as an S corp, you're, um, you pay yourself as an employee. So you've got some overhead there with payroll, like you'll need to use it probably use a payroll service and things like that. So there's some extra expenses, extra paperwork, all of that. Um, But it can be a tax benefit because of where, what, what of your business income you pay that um, 15.3% self-employment tax on it. It reduces that amount of taxable income. So, so it's like an optimization exercise. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I would say no matter the size of your studio, it's great to have an accountant to explain this to you in detail because the way we were explained it when we were setting ours up was there's a certain point of income where an S corp will be more valuable to you because your taxes look look a little different and because of the deductions you could be taxed the the, the amount of tax you're paying is less than it would be if you were an LLC with the same income. So it's there's kind of that point and I don't want to say any numbers cuz I'm not sure exactly what it is but there, there is a point where you would want to switch over to an S corp so that you can save a little bit on your taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes some predictability too because once you're in that, um, I'll, I'll say some numbers, but keep in mind they're very general, and you would want to plan for this in advance. But 
roughly $40,000 of net profit from your studio or income greater than $100,000 is like when that conversation might be happening. Um, and, but one of the the big, the tough things about it, or like why you want to give this thought is that you do have to be, you have to opt into that um, tax designation for five years and you have to be able to consistently draw an income for yourself. So you might even hit those thresholds and say, oh, but you know what? I think I'm going to drop down to part-time next year because I, I don't know, my, my mother-in-law is coming to live with us or something, you know, for any reason you might decide to change that. So even if you're meeting those thresholds, sometimes it doesn't make sense just because of the other intricacies of that tax. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I had forgotten mm-hmm. about that. That's good to bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to kind of forecast, like have a forecast for where you're going with your business. Yeah, but definitely if you're like nearing those thresholds, I would say have the conversation with someone who can look at your taxes specifically yeah. and don't don't rely on other music teachers to give you guidance on this because they can't. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. so many variables. And <laughs> Yes. And I, I remember someone gave us such great advice, you know, years ago, maybe 10 years ago, who just said, you're you you do have to pay your accountant, but you will save because they will help you with your expenses. And and they know often sometimes there are government deductions during the year that you're not aware of, especially during COVID. There were some some Mm -hmm. special circumstance things that are hard to figure out on your own. So an accountant is going to save you time and ultimately money, which was like done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's worth having that kind of safety net. Yes. Okay, let's talk about expenses. You know, it's so important to know what your expenses are and know what you can deduct as a studio owner because then it makes your taxable income less. So you will pay less on your taxes. So let's talk about, for both of us, you can go first. How do you document your expenses? Yeah, um, I've done it many ways over the years, depending on the level of my studio. You know, when I was in high school, it was an Excel document that I kept track of expenses in. Now I do use accounting software. Um, again, I come from a business background, so that was not new software to me to use. I know that it's a new a new system to learn for music teachers. I do think it's worth it if you are inclined that way. Um, but I have lots of clients I work with who use, you know, my music staff bonds, some studio management software to do that expense tracking. I always say use the tool that you're actually going to use, not the one that you're going to resist and not, not take advantage of. So right. yeah, personally I use yeah. um, accounting software, QuickBooks and Waves. Wave. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I love Wave. I, I use Wave apps. And for those listening who don't know what some of this software can do for you, you basically connect it to your checking account or your credit card accounts or all of them. And you can designate transactions to be in certain expense categories. So for example, every time you purchase from a specific music store, it'll automatically see that and t- and put it in that bucket of a music or an office supply expense if mm-hmm. that's what you've chosen to send it to. So at the end of the year, you can look at all those categories and quickly see your expenses. Now, you still will have to go back through. I always do to be safe and, and double check everything to make sure that's putting them in the right categories. Like sometimes you'll get gas and it'll put it in the wrong category because it's like a weird name or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still helpful and it learns with you over time. Mm-hmm. And something that came up, I'm, I've got a a finance course running right now. And someone asked the question, I switched to, um, I started using a business bank account midway through the year and credit card and things like that. So all my transactions post June are under the business. 
But before June, I had all these expenses that were on my personal card. What do I do with that? And that's where um, you can still track all those in your studio management software. But accounting software does give you kind of an edge there because you can say, I bought this on a personal card and keep it uh, like linked to your, uh, keep it designated as a personal purchase that you made into the business. Um, so there's just like a little more definition in that accounting software can offer if you decide to go that way with expense tracking. Yes, I love that. Yes. Um, something that I like to do is look at all of my expenses and and find the ones that are auto renewal for the year or monthly. And I have a separate spreadsheet that lists out each service when it renews and what I pay per year for that service. So for example, Canva is one that I pay for mm -hmm. yearly. Um, Spotify is something we pay for yearly. Zoom, you pay monthly. I mean, there are several, once you start thinking about it, that qualify as business expenses that you'll wanna know when they renew and how much you're spending. Those are ones you don't really have to track in accounting software the same way because you already know you're spending $90 a year on Canva or, or maybe it's Calendly or your website service that you pay for you know, $16 a month. Like, they add up, but it's okay because they're business expenses and it's just good to have them written out so that you can see them. Mm -hmm. Let's, while we're on the topic of expenses, let's talk about what, what you can expense. So what are the different categories that teachers should be thinking about? Some might be new to having, running a business, you know, having a studio. What are some that they can realize could be deducted? Sure. So many things. <laughs> some of the benefits of being a business owner, even um, yeah, like percentages of your cell phone, you know, if you use that for business, you probably use it for personal also, but if you can justify that, use it, use it 20% of the time for business, that's a tax deductible business expense, um, home office deductions. Uh, they are, there's some stipulations with that, but for sure, if you've got a piano taking up space in your living room that you use for, uh, for teaching absolutely can be used, um, as, or deducted. Um, mileage is one that I don't think we always appreciate, especially the non-traveling teachers still can, it's, it's just like free money really. Um, and this past year, I think the mileage rate reimbursement rate for the first half of 2022 was 58 and a half cents. And then it went up because of inflation was so great, um, that it was higher 62 and a half cents per mile, uh, for the second half of last year. So that means if you're driving a hundred miles, there's, um, you get to write off $62.50 for those hundred miles, meaning you don't have to pay tax on that $62. So, yeah. Right. Can I ask a question with that? I'm trying to remember, is it either mileage or money you've spent on gas? Yeah, you can either do like track all your expenses that you spend on your car. So your oil mm -hmm. changes and all that, and then do a percentage of the miles that you drove for business versus yeah. personal. That's always seemed like more overhead to me. I, I haven't been a traveling teacher yeah. or an exclusively traveling teacher. That'd probably be worth like testing one year to see if it's worth mm -hmm. that extra overhead mm -hmm. of tracking. But, um, but for a teacher who's driving maybe just 200 miles a year, you know, to their MTNA meetings and the occasional competition or right. a coffee meetup with another teacher or a conference, all that, that kind of random stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the standard mileage deduction is really not that cumbersome to uh, figure out. 
even after the fact. Thank you, Google Maps. And <laughs> if you keep track of your appointments, you can go back and recreate those mileage reports. Yeah. And maybe now that teachers know that, you know, you can keep a note on your phone when you when you do have those expenses and you can just quickly jot it down. I know that's a great mm -hmm. theory. It's harder to actually do, but <laughs> if you plan it, maybe it can be easier. <laughs> and, you know, I said at the beginning, one of my things is routines and habits. And I I have a money money date with myself, like on Friday afternoons or Saturday mornings. This is my time that I spend to just capture all those things. So I'll look back at my calendar and I'll look at any, any travel driving I might have done that was related to business. Um, make sure that's tracked in a, a spreadsheet. Um, I'll look at, you know, any Amazon orders I made that need to be tracked. Just I, I have one set time each week that I kind of capture it all at once. That's so good. I've I've started doing whenever I make any purchase, I have a note on my phone that I and I have different categories and I just quickly like the date, what it was and which category it goes under. And it's good for a couple of reasons. <laughs> I like before I make a purchase, I'm like, oh, do I really want to write this down? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Like they did in the olden days when you had a checkbook or you had a, you know, you you had a running log. Like I can remember my parents had one and especially my grandparents, uh -huh. like they talked everything. And I think, unfortunately, because of the ease of credit cards and like, we've got our payments set up to every single service online. So it's so easy to just autofill the card and make the purchase. <laughs> but I really, it really does help like with any purchase for clothing or for whatever it is like, okay, stop. Let me think about this for 24 hours. And then if I forget about it, I don't need it. <laughs> like intentionally building in some friction. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Yes. Or like, I will have to tell my husband about this because we're going to go over this. <laughs> Do I want to try to explain or justify? <laughs> no, I, I would also suggest like as a partnership to have flexibility in what you, you know, to have a budget that's huge. Like, yeah, you have this amount you spend on you and you have this amount you spend on you. Like, absolutely, because we should enjoy our lives. But I think it also is a good check and balance. <laughs> yeah. What other categories should we be thinking about? Yeah. Um, professional development. Um, you know, teachers are in your community and spend money on that monthly. And that's a great business expense. Um, anything, if you're spending money on music studio licenses, for sure. Um, music that is part of your own music library, not music that a student would reimburse you for, because then you're, you're getting income when the student reimburses you. So that kind of cancels out. But um, music that's for your studio library, instruments, um, instrument maintenance, uh, all the gear you bought to teach online, uh, the extra webcams and mic stands and things, um, really anything that you would would not have bought if not for your business. Yeah. Um, so all the subscription services online, which they, those add up, any music apps that you're using for mm -hmm. students um, or that you purchased, you know, one-time purchase, those are all things that absolutely you should be deducting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even music for yourself, if it's, you know, justifiable as like, I needed this music to play this gig, or I, it's part of my studio library. Now it's accessible to students. Um, yes. Studio decor, you know, if you're, if you are uh, buying a new rug for your studio for underneath your instrument or chairs, um, that can be a deductible expense. Yes. Um, what are some other common questions you get during this time of year? I can think of a few, but what are some that you've had from teachers? You know, they come to this March, April time and they're 
getting a little bit of friction with wanting to do, not wanting, but needing to do their taxes. taxes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do I have to, do I have to pay yeah. taxes? Um, that's a common one. And probably yes, unfortunately, um, there are income thresholds for that too. But um, if you, yeah. And if, do I have to pay taxes on income I received as cash or can I just kind of let that slip into my bank account without documenting it and Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. The IRS wants to know about everything. So whether it came as cash or check or credit card payment or um, Bitcoin or even muffins, if you bartered, you know, for lessons, even that is technically tax um, taxable income, the, the value of the muffins that were bartered. Um, yeah, so that's probably the biggest one is do I have to? And then um, there's a lot of fears about quarterly, paying quarterly taxes. And um, I, I just like to assure people that it's not that terrible, you know, <laughs> it's a little daunting the first time, but. Yeah. And, and it's, it's education. It's education. It's, it's taking a moment to educate yourself around what's expected and finding the right forms and then putting a, an alert in your calendar, right? It's not like, oh, you know, am I going to mm -hmm. get in trouble? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you have any fears about what you maybe didn't do last year that you think you should have just set them aside. Don't worry about it. Just take the next step forward because mm -hmm. there's always uh, a way out <laughs> and, um, and tax preparers are, can be very helpful in that situation. Just like set you at ease, figure out where the baseline is and reset. And just, I would say, don't, don't hold on to that fear and let that, yeah keep you from taking a positive step um towards just getting on the right track with that yes do you do your teachers that you work with have any specific software they do their taxes in or are most of them using an accountant i'd say it's a mix um personally i've used TurboTax, which is great um my tax situation got really complicated and so i i've i made it when i first started i wanted to know how my taxes were working. That was really important to me to understand them so I could make decisions based on like how to optimize those taxes. And so I did them for, I don't know, 10 years or something. And then um, my between my husband and I, we have several businesses and rental properties and we mm. moved states. And one year it was just like so ridiculously crazy. Um, I think I, I managed books for four LLCs right now. So it was just like a lot and any... Anytime I had a weird question, it would be a two hour rabbit trail of, yeah. you know, Googling and trying to <laughs> read tax code and see, does this apply to my situation? Or does this? And right. at that point I was like, you know what? I can call a tax preparer and they can answer my question in 15 minutes. And that's where the value really came back to me in terms of the, the cost of my time to sleuth out answers. Yeah. I could do it. And I just, it didn't make sense anymore. It took time away from my businesses. I actually, now that I'm, now that we're talking, I'm thinking, why don't we talk just a little bit about planning out a year of your finances for your studio and like setting, maybe setting some goals as a, as a studio owner. Um, do you have any tips for somebody who's looking at their year and maybe they're thinking like, oh, last year I didn't do a good job. What should they be, you know, thinking about mentally moving forward so that they can have a better year financially and be more aware of their spendings? Yeah. Okay. Let me think of the different teachers. So I think of a beginning teacher who's um, 
just starting out or maybe someone who's in a different career wanting to transition to teaching. For that teacher, I would say um, focus on like your personal budget, getting your personal budget in order, figuring out what you need um, and maybe creating a, an aspirational budget, what you'd like, and then crunching the numbers to find out what it would take from your business to support those two levels of budget, especially if you're making a transition from maybe you're a school teacher wanting to become a, a private teacher. What does it take to replace your salary or something like that? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I'd start with that teacher. For the one who is already running but a private. Really quick. That was such a good point. For the teacher who's transitioning, I think it is so, so wise to be forecasting the numbers and thinking, okay, like my salary over here is X. I would way rather do this, you know, and, and, and doing the math and, and going, mm -hmm. okay, well, how many students do I need and what, what should I be charging and what am I wanting? Um, you know, I always tell teacher, do that math and say, okay, you, how many students do you want to teach? What's your max? Divide that by how much you want to make and how many months. And that tells you your rate you should be charging. So either you charge more or you got to shift your goals a little bit and say, oh, actually, I need to be teaching more students to ever hit that goal. Mm -hmm. Or reformat lessons so you can target a higher monthly um, monthly yes. income per or average per student or something like that. There are lots of ways to like get those numbers higher, but uh, you got to know what the target is to yes. know what you're trying to hit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you were going into the next teacher. Maybe they've been teaching okay. for a few years. Yeah, so that teacher is probably a, I'd start with a financial review. Where have you been? What is it that is you're dissatisfied about? Is it um, you feel like you don't know what's happening? Is it a visibility question? Like, I don't understand my finances. In that case, the goal might be education, um, you know, learning more about some area of finance. Or it might be more of a systems routine kind of thing. Like I was disorganized this year and I want to be more organized. Um, there might not actually be a financial goal. It might be a, a supporting financial goal. I think the more organized you are with your finances and the more you know, naturally, it kind of tends to optimize itself. Yeah, <laughs> so I think there's yeah. payoff to that anyway. Um, so that'd be like a, a solo teacher who's been in it for a few years. Um and then certainly you can set the financial goals. I want to be, I want 10% more this year. And then you're looking yeah. at how do you hit that through teaching more students? Do you hit that through teaching group? You know, all those questions. Um, yes. And then for the multi-teacher studio, my brain has really been in this multi-teacher studio that place this last couple of months as I've been putting together this finance course. Um, because there, I think the, what I hear most often from multi-teacher studio owners is their studio just like isn't quite working and they don't know why um it's like just not quite profitable enough it's not quite mm. where they can step back from teaching and be full-time admin or it's not quite to where they are able to offer competitive salaries to their teachers yeah. to like really um engage them and it's like creating um, more work than more work than what they maybe thought when they were hiring yeah. Yeah. And so there are lots of reflection questions there. Like is what job do you want for yourself? Um, do you want the job of a multi-teacher studio owner who's doing a lot of administrative work? Were you happy being a solo teacher? Because you can do really well as an independent teacher um, and that you can do really well financially. Like the, the two shouldn't, there's, there's maybe more 
uh, opportunity, but your job also very much changes when you're a multi-teacher studio owner. Yes. So some just personal reflection on what do you want out of your job? Um, and then I think there's a lot of room for education in, in the multi-teacher studio owner model to really like understand how margins and things change. There's just so many more expenses with that model. Um, mm. and it, it just takes a, a lot more attention. Um, so I, yeah, that was oh, kind of a lot. <laughs> no, that's so good. That's so good. And for teachers to realize like whatever stage you're in, there are ways to, to, to strategize and to look differently and to create income. Um, one thing I would add is really focusing on what you want as a teacher. Like, are you thriving teaching, but you're working too many hours? Mm -hmm. That's maybe where we should create a hybrid of group lessons and one-on-one -on -one lessons. We have a teacher who does this ex and she's so excellent at it. She does two one-on-ones a, a month and two group lessons for each student. So she's able to kind of alternate those weeks and the students get amazing value from it. Mm -hmm. And she can in turn teach more, fit in more students. So there are just so many ways to be creative and to really dream big. And like you said, you might not have to hire other teachers to create that finance mm -hmm. goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you just have to know yourself. Like no one can answer that question for you. Yeah. So yeah. And there isn't a right or wrong. Oh, there's no, no, there is no right or wrong. And I think having resources like podcasts and YouTubing it or whatever it is and getting out of this traditional way of thinking is so helpful. Um, one other one other thought, I know we're not going to talk a ton longer, but this is just so fun <laughs> and it's such an important talk topic. Um, but one thought I'm thinking about is just encouraging teachers to try to stay debt free um, and talking about what debt is good debt? Um, you know, maybe it's your mortgage. Obviously, a mortgage is something you pay off over many, many years. And sometimes a vehicle is needed. I We try to buy vehicles with cash. We are huge Dave Ramsey fans and and being living within our means. But do you have any thoughts around, you know, either tips or reasons to stay out of debt as a business owner? Mm. Yeah, I have talked a lot about this actually in like uh, when I've given presentations to college groups because that was something that was really important to me in college. Um, and I I would say I did it in college because it was like the right thing to do, not because I really understood, like I kind of got it, but I didn't really understand, didn't understand the impact it would have on my life. Um, and basically what it meant for me in college was I just worked hard, you know, during college. And so I had the money to pay for the things I needed. And, um, it, I, I see now how, because I was debt-free in college, I bought a house like a year after I graduated at the same time as I was starting a business and it's looking amazing. back, I'm like, that was kind of crazy. And there were a lot of circumstances around that. Um, there was, the housing crisis, which made yeah. housing prices work in my favor, but it also meant I was starting a business during a financial crisis. So I'm sure my business sales weren't what they would have been in different years. So, you know, there was, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you work with whatever circumstances you have at the moment, but, yeah. um, so yeah, I didn't quite realize until probably after the fact that that really made a difference. Um, since then, I, I think there's, it's, 
it's an education thing too. Like knowing why you're taking on the debt. If you're a travel teacher and your car dies, it's probably worth it to take yeah. that loan because yeah. there's a return on the in investment. You, yes, you're going to pay loan payments and pay more for the car over time, but it makes possible earning this other income. So yeah. um, I think there's, there, like you said, there's good debt and there's bad debt and um, there's debt that's worth it to take it on because of what it makes possible. Um, and then there's debt like, I just want to buy all the the new furniture for my studio and I'm going to yeah. put it on a credit card just because I want it now. That's the bad debt kind of thing. Yeah. So um, really looking at, is there, is this a want or a need? Um, and yes. what does this make possible? If I don't make this take on this debt, is that thing still possible? If I don't buy all this by $5,000 of furniture, can I still start teaching? Probably yes. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I, I also encourage like, I, I am a, a generally debt-free person, but yeah, I, yeah. I don't want people to be short-sighted either when there is a good business reason to take on debt, like Great. the situation of the travel teacher. So there's, it's understanding, you know, there's not like a yeah. black and white rule on that either, unfortunately, yeah. except for maybe the want versus need part. The, yes, such good thoughts. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about how we can dream we can dream and create differently when we are not strapped down by debt like a hundred percent we sure. can spend more time in creation mode and not worry mode when we don't have that like long-term lingering thing looming you know and we my husband and i paid off a huge amount of debt in our first three years of marriage from my schooling at berkeley and i loved that i went there but i didn't realize you know i wasn't educated on what that actually meant i think mm -hmm. i thought well maybe eventually my parents can help me pay it off or maybe i'll marry a doctor i don't know what i was thinking <laughs> like <laughs> all i knew is it was a great fantastic school that i got into and anyway we were still able to knock it out. And the freedom to then dream differently and to go, what do we want our lives to look like? What do we, we don't have to be tied to this thing. And now look at teachers. We can live anywhere and teach. We can create anything and make an income. Like it is such an amazing world of entrepreneurship where you can take your skills and run with them. So we really can create that ultimate flexibility as business owners. But I think one thing that ties people down is kind of that, that heaviness of debt. Yes, that, that is for sure true. I've, I've like heard that echoed by many, many people. Um, and the, especially when we're talking like consumer debt or mm -hmm. um, school debt that drags on and on and on and kind yes. of haunts you for longer than it should. And maybe debt taken on when you didn't realize what was actually happening. And yeah, it does restrict opportunity. I think that's, that's how I describe it. And so um, when I think of taking on intentional debt for, yeah, these things like buying a piano because you mm -hmm. have to start, <laughs> you have to start, yes. you need a piano to start. Um, so I, I see that so differently. Um, and even the mental approach to it is different because you're coming in saying, I, this is, a, I'm making this decision because it's a, a step to this mm -hmm. next thing, not, I don't know any other way, so I'm going to do this, you know? It's, it's the best. It's the best when you can get on the other side. Like, 
on the other side of it, what what doors it opens to you then in thinking about wealth and thinking about um, what you're creating for your future and the future of your family just feels and looks so differently. And I just wanted to mention that to give hope to those who aren't there, that mm-hmm. it's not far away. Like it's not as far away as you realize or as you as you think. Um, finding really great resources that can help you is so empowering. And being able to speak about it with your partner or your spouse or whoever you're with is helpful and I feel like only brings you closer together when you don't think that's going to be the case. It actually <laughs> usually is because the more vulnerable you are with people, you your love grows. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like we talked about earlier with taxes, like if, if there's fear that's keeping you from taking yeah. the next steps towards like figuring out what your, your tax situation is, same thing on this. Like this is way easier said than done, but like just remove the emotion from it mm. and say, this is not a a judgment against me. This is not anything. This is, it's just a number. number. It's a number. We put other numbers against it. It goes down, you know, it's a spreadsheet. That's it. It's a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all. It's a few less trips to Dairy Queen, but (laughs) well, Andrea, thank you so much. This has just been really fun and a a kind of a different topic I don't talk about all the time. So thank you so much. Tell us a little bit more about your finance course and where teachers can learn more about that. Cause I know there's probably some listening who are like, I need to dive deeper. I'm doing the first round of this finance course now, and it's about split between multi-teacher studio owners and, and solo studio owners. And I would say it really is designed with the multi-teacher studio owner in mind. I saw, Mm -hmm. um, so many teachers grow their studios to full capacity and then take that next step. Well, take a next step to becoming multi-teacher studio owners. And sometimes I think that's presented as like the next thing. And so we've already talked about it. It's not necessarily, it might be for you. It might not be in either way. That's fine. Um, But then there are just some really different things with the financial model of a multi-teacher studio, because you've got these, um, these, teachers that you're wanting to pay and you're probably wanting to pay well. Um, and then, and you just are working with, to keep the business running with a much smaller percentage of the revenue that comes in. Yeah. Whereas when you're a solo teacher teaching out of your house, you get a hundred percent of the revenue comes in and to you and none of it goes to rent. None of it goes to utilities probably. Um, and so you're just like really operating out of a really high profit looking business that underlies your whole business. So that's what that course gets into. It's super dense <laughs> and, and super nerdy, but it, it, it's, it's finance. I want you to be able to speak the language of finance, go into it, talk to a banker or investor and hold your own in that financial yeah. conversation. Amazing. Well, I will link it so that teachers can look into that because I know there are so many teachers kind of at that level where they're wondering um, what their next step is. So thank you so much. And thanks for sharing all of your knowledge today. (laughs) Thank you. This is a blast. If you've been frustrated with online teaching or feeling discouraged about how slow it feels to grow your studio, then I would love to invite you to join me inside the Teach Music Online Membership. Our online membership includes multiple courses helping you with your tech, marketing systems, scheduling and payments, new student onboarding, engagement tactics, scheduling, and so much more. All of this so that you can finally feel excited and confident in what you're building as a music teacher. 
with hundreds of video lessons, twice monthly live coaching calls, and a thriving, optimistic community, we are here to get you where you want to be. We now also offer additional courses, including Course Creator for Musicians and Studio Website Builder. To join us today, head over to teachmusic.online, and I can't wait to see you there.